Talks, a chat with Finance Malta, is the podcast series that gives you short, thoughtful and regular insights from leading experts of the financial services industry. I'm Vanessa McDonald. Welcome. Welcome to another podcast in the series from Finance Malta. I'm Vanessa McDonald and today we're going to be talking about LTIF and the second version of this, which is coming into force on the 10th of January 2024. To tell us a little bit more about LTIF 1, why it failed and what the second version is going to offer, we have with us Stephen Grick, the director of CC Fund Services, and Philip Sushta, who is the branch director for Q Securities. Stephen, if I can ask you first, the aim of the original 2015 LTIF, what was it and why, if uh, I can be so bold, why was it such a failure? Why didn't it generate any take-up? Thank you, Vanessa, first of all, for having me on this podcast. Um, to define actually the term LTIF, LTIF stands for European Long-Term Investment Fund. Now, the idea behind this regime was to ensure that retail investors have a space to invest in private funds. So where there were already alternative funds or alternative investment funds known as AFES, whereby professional investors or retail investors, but if they qualify as a qualifying investor, could invest in certain type of funds, the typical retail investor, the typical man on the street, had no avenue. So the EU came up with this LTIF to ensure that retail investors can invest in long-term projects. Um, the retail investors they wanted obviously something which is EU-harmonized, and the LTIF is basically just that. It's an EU-harmonized product, so having an LTIF in Malta and in other foreign jurisdictions will present the same opportunities. In relation to the problems, um, that the LTIF one presented was first and foremost there was a big barrier to entry whereby a retail investor had to, as a minimum, subscribe an amount of 10,000 euro. Now, as we know, especially in Malta, but also in other jurisdictions, retail investors might want to have part of their portfolio in an LTIF, but not a sizable part of their portfolio, and since it's considered to be an alternative investor fund anyway. Um, uh, so having a minimum subscription of 10,000 euro presented a barrier in itself. Also, the fact that there were limitations on what defined what was defined as a real asset, for example, having a minimum investment made by the promoter or the manager of the fund in an asset of having a value of 10 million euro, also presented a, a diversification issue, which is ma- the main characteristic of why would one invest in a fund, one would invest in a fund. Of course, because you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, so, so to speak. Yes. Exactly. So medium, medium-sized managers having a medium-sized funds, if you give them a limit of each investment has to have a value of 10 million, how many millions do they have to manage? And that's also presented another problem. Another problem going back to the retail investors was the lack of liquidity provided. So retail additives, sorry, the retail additives under additive one, the, the idea was to have an investment of 10 years or more sometimes, but, and the investor had no option to redeem his money come what may. Ouch, and as we know, something, something happens, you know, exactly. the unexpected. And sometimes happens, It's something that retail investors would definitely want, some, some form of liquidity, as in fact one would find under typical use its fund, which is the plain vanilla retail go-to um, 
fund type of fund so yeah, the the fact that it's targeting retail investors but not providing the main characteristics a retail investor would look for resulted in it not being a very popular option Philippe, when we say not popular give us some numbers i mean are we talking about hundreds thousands well i think that would be classified as a success by the by the policy makers in the eu uh, in fact uh, currently i think there are around uh, over 80 uh, eltifs in the in the register maintained by by ESMA across the whole of Europe across the whole of Europe oh, but gosh. that number is actually misleading because uh, when when you look closely at the numbers you will find that the vast majority around 60 of those eltifs were set up in the in the last 3 years so once the eltif 2 was already published uh, it's it's sort of contents were known to the market and it might be said that a lot of these LTIFs are in preparation for LTIF 2. So in actuality, there were around only 20 structures like that set up in the whole EU. Oh gosh, okay. Failure, so, so speak. I mean, Stephen actually sort of went through some of the main problems uh, posed by LTIF 1. Uh, I presume that there must have been a, quite a lot of consultation before they actually came up with LTIF 2. Of course, I mean, the, the, the fact that, the, to be diplomatic, uh, LTIF 1 was not a success became, uh, very, um, became very clear very early in the process. I mean, the first regulations from 2015. So already around five years, uh, the, the policymakers were aware that this is not the result that they were looking for. This is not a structure like USITS uh, that is sort of uh, this brand of, of, of the EU in the, in the fund sector. So the consultation process was focused mostly on identifying the problems, and I think uh, Steve went through those uh, in, in, in a lot of detail, and working out with the market, with the financial market participants on how to solve them. And of course, there had to be a balance, and, and I think LTIF2 is quite a good compromise uh, between uh, ensuring the protection of retail investors, because chiefly uh, LTIF2 uh, will be directed to retail investors, uh, and the flexibility of the product and removing these obstacles that on one hand made it very difficult for fund managers to structure their investments, and on the other hand it became very difficult to, for retail investors to access this product. So I think, uh, I, I think that the consultation process was very fruitful. Uh, most of the, the fund market participants are quite happy with how things turned out. Of course, there's always a question of more. Uh, the, the, the fund market really wants the, the structures to be as flexible as possible to enable them to, to structure their investments however they see fit. Of course, the regulator has to be understood, uh, including the, the national uh, authorities and, uh, and ESMA are looking to protect the investors as much as possible, especially that retail investors are not usually investing in, in the alternative space in the, in the private market. Steve, without getting too technical, uh, and obviously everything is, is online now, the, the, the full LTIF2 text was published in March 2023, but how does it resolve some of the issues that you brought up? Let's start with, for example, the minimum investment. Exactly. So off the bat, immediately, the LTIF2.0, which will be available in early 2024, um, actually removes the minimum investment criteria. So a retail investor where before, as we said, um, had to invest 10,000 euro, this is no longer the case. Also, um, when it comes to the type of investment company, so LTIF1 result, um, resulted in the investments being made only in European investment companies. This is no longer the case. An asset can be any type of company, regardless if it's in the EU or European or not, as long as it's not an agreed listed company. Obviously. Of course, yes. Um, 
in relation to the green bonds, which is also a very hot topic that is being discussed by many EU policymakers. In Article 2.0, green bonds are now eligible assets, together with fintech companies, which is again something where AI, fintech is also a hot topic in the EU. The, under Article 1.0, these were not eligible, and these are now eligible. In relation to, again, retail investors wanting to redeem at some point in time, the LTIF 2.0 will ensure that as long as certain conditions are met, um, ad hoc redemption dates can be set by the company to ensure that if an investor wants to redeem his holding, he would be able to do it accordingly. And in fact, tying with this point, the issue that investment managers, which also Philippe mentioned before, um, the restrictiveness in certain investment strategies could not, would not, under relative one, did not provide for investments in other type of funds, which could provide liquidity. This has now been fixed and under relative 2.0, there can be a strategy of a fund of funds strategy, which means that the investment manager, if he redeems, if he, sorry, if he gets a redemption request will be able to redeem part of his holding from these type of funds rather than the long-term project because in its nature it's a long-term project and maybe it will result in incurring certain penalties at the detriment of the investors. He can redeem part of his holding in this fund of funds which will satisfy the liquidity Give issue. him the liquidity and of course the di- diversification exactly. too. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. Um, LTIF 2.0 also um, promotes the fact that one investment manager can now borrow certain certain type of money to ensure that he can invest in certain type of project projects. And actually, LTIF 2.0 goes further and says that if the LTIF will be promoted and presented only to professional investors, so in this case, diverting a bit from the retail space, the certain restrictions and limitations which are imposed in the default LTIF tool, let's call it that way, are actually now removed. So any LTIF, so the investment managers now have actually two options. They can either have an LTIF being promoted to both retail and professional investors and the default rules will apply. But the same manager, if he has a market, he can promote an, or set up an LTIF dedicated only to professional investors and therefore taking advantage of the much, less, much more lenient restrictions which are applied under LTIF 2.0, which would be applicable only to LTIFs available for professional investors. Um, one last thing, which was also a big changer for and also received very well by the, the investment management community was the fact that the issue we mentioned before, that the fund had to invest in an asset of a value having a value of 10 million, this is now gone. Um, or also the, the fact that if they invest in a company which is on, situated or works in a regulated market, before under LTIF 1, the market, have, market cap had to have a value of not more than 500 million, which means that certain good companies, good value companies, one could not invest in. This has now been increased to 1.5 billion and therefore the eligibility criteria of what is available for investment is now a much, much wider and obviously much more um, in favour of the diversification approach, which is normally taken by the investment managers. So we have, we have to look at this from both sides, uh, making it attractive to the companies seeking investment and making it attractive to the investors, whether they are professional and retail. Do you think that LTIF2 has achieved this? I mean, as Philip said before, there's always room for more, but Personally, I think it's a big, huge improvement from the previous regime and obviously only time will tell 
if it if all the stumbling blocks were were you know um, uh, were 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 done accordingly. I mean, from our end, what we what I could see when we were we're going through the LTF two points, and we could see the fact that the investment manager has now much more space and much more flexibility, where in LTF one it was practically non flexible at all. And Philippe, what from your point of view, which is maybe the other side of the fence, how does it look? I mean, I think, as I mentioned, this is the result of a compromise. And, uh, and I think what the policymakers achieved is, is, is still getting the balance right between uh, increasing the flexibility uh, whilst protecting investors. What I will say is that uh, Steve mentioned that an LTF can be structured as a, as a fund dedicated to professional investors. And of course, that is the case, in which case most of the investment restrictions will not apply. But in such a case, I think that its potential is quite limited because uh, you can mar- market any type of alternative investment fund to professional investors. That's sort of the essence of AFMD. You can set up a, a notified AFE in Malta and, and distribute it to professional investors throughout Europe. For retail investors, it's not always possible because it's up to the countries, EU countries to decide whether or not foreign or other EU uh, alternative investment funds can be sold to their retail investors. The LTIF has it sort of baked in. This is the, the sort of the crucial key component of the LTIF structure that you can market this to retail investors. So there where its uh, attractiveness is the biggest. And I think by, by adding all these uh, uh, flexibilities on the side of investment restrictions, whilst removing all the barriers for access to retail investors, uh, achieves that goal. Obviously, whenever you've got anything this big, there are always some technical standards, regulatory technical standards, which last, you know, which are debated for a little bit longer. And in fact, the MFSA, uh, which will be obviously overseeing these uh, particular products, uh, issued a circular on the 4th of September. Yes, just yesterday. What has that actually cleared up? Well, I mean, the circular itself is, is quite general. It just mentioned that the investment services rulebook will be updated because the, the consultation period on the, on the regulatory technical standards is still ongoing at the, at the ESMA level. It is planned that the final report will be published in line with the January uh, date for LTIF2 coming into force, which of course is super important because, you know, the, these are the, even though they're very technical, as the name says, they contain very important details of how the fund can be structured will might impact the decision for a fund manager whether or not to go with an LTIF2 structure. So I think what's important and what ESMA has to remember is that the, the, the sort of the initial goal behind, behind LTIF2. It would not make sense to have LTIF2 increase the flexibility of the structure, allowing more retail investors to come in, while at the same time, at the level of regulatory technical standards, that flexibility is again limited and it becomes much more stricter. I mean, in the end, we have to remember that all these structures will be managed by, by fully-fledged AFMs, supervised by their national uh, authorities, so the, 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 the sort of the investor protection is there and it doesn't make sense incre- to increase all these, uh, all these options available to fund managers, how to structure the fund and then restrict them at the level of, of, the, of the technical standards. So fingers crossed uh, ESMA remembers what was the initial idea behind, behind LTIF2. Steve, final question. Um, it's a harmonized product. Exactly. Okay, so what's in it for Malta? Why, why would so anyone th- come to Malta as opposed to any of the other jurisdictions? As opposed, as opposed to other products that we have on the island, as you said, LTIF is a harmonized product, meaning that although it's set, will be set, it can be set up in Malta, it can be passported and marketed across any EU state, in, obviously in the EU. Um, uh, 
as Philip rightly said, LTIF will require the use of an AFIM, an alternative investment fund manager, a depository, a fund administrator, auditors, which you will find in Malta and they already have numerous years of experience because the AFMD regime has been in Malta and obviously across the EU um, for a number of years. So one, although the LTIF2 will be a new regime which will be available in 2024, it will piggyback, so to speak, on a structure which already exists and proven in Malta. So as we said, one will benefit from a harmonized product, which will mean that there is no difference in a, in a LTIF setup in Malta or any other EU jurisdiction, but possibly getting the same level of expertise and experience, if not more in certain cases, but at a prob probably more advantageous price, um, which goes hand in hand again with the argument of retail investors. So one of the aspects of a retail investment fund is to cons key consideration to what is known as the TER, the total expense ratio. So if the fund service providers keep a, a competitive price, obviously the TER will be lower and therefore more appealing to the retail investors and obviously easier for the fund promoter to promote the fund, to distribute the fund and obviously more easy, it's easier as well for the manager to manage this type of fund because the assets rather than setting, being used to pay the bills can be used to actually diversify the portfolio and actually you use it for the growth of the investment made by the investors. Another important aspect is the MFSA. Um, so the MFSA is very pro-business, it, it holds um, meetings with these type of promoters, with any type of fund promoter actually. Um, but, and in fact, the feedback we get from clients is that they see the MFSA as a partner in this journey as opposed to certain other jurisdictions whereby the regulator is more of a regulatory watchdog being there sometimes um, uh, looking for the needle in a haystack, you know. The, the enforcement rather than the... the yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so that's very important. As we discussed before as well, LTIFs will now be able to invest in fintech companies and other, other, other type of assets, which I think goes hand in hand um, with the strategy of the MFSAC, whereby it's all about promoting AI, promoting fintech companies, promoting automations. So one will definitely benefit due to timing them uh, if they had to set up an LTIF in Malta, that uh, they will benefit from a harmonized product, but also benefit from a revamped jurisdiction, which is currently looking to update its processes to ensure that it's using the latest technology available um, in line with what the jurisdiction and the market um, deserves, basically. Wow, there's quite a lot to look forward to. Thank you very much, Stephen and Philip, and thank you for listening to this podcast. That's all for today. Subscribe now to the FinTalks and follow Finance Malta on all social media platforms to stay updated with all our activities. Till the next podcast.